Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. My name's Charles, and I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Good evening, Charles. Oh, Joe. I mean, I know we spoke about it last week, but the one thing that neither of us really wanted to happen came to pass, and... The only caveat I will say is we did say if there's one team that's going to let us down and not give the Colts a good stuff in, it would be the Raiders. Yeah, probably not for the first time in anybody's life we've been let down by the Raiders. Uh, like, for perspective here, really, they are one hell of a garbage team. Uh, you look past the injuries to key offensive players like Waller, like Renfro. They're just really not playing good. You get the odd kind of car to Devante Adams connection here and there. And Devante Adams, you know, bless him, is trying the best he can to try and make good of a bad situation. I mean, he did want to go there. But this Raiders team are looking pretty, pretty bad at this stage of the season. Yeah, definitely. So what does this victory mean for the Colts for Saturday, for coaches with limited experience coming into the NFL I mean we obviously spoke last week and said it's not a great look ideally you really don't want to see him win many games because it sets a bit of a dangerous precedent of course it's one game it's against the Raiders is it just that well do you think that Saturday has done anything what has he actually done Aside from come in and probably do a locker room speech at the start of a game do a locker room speech at halftime what has he done? He hasn't game-planned, he hasn't called plays, he hasn't actually coached at all. He's not done anything. It's just really the people around him. And I think that this is why the people who deserve the plaudits, and they probably won't get enough of them because it will be Saturday who soaks them all up, but the people who deserve the plaudits are those assistant coaches who were overlooked for promotion when the staff ahead of them were fired, that they just kept their heads down, kept on working, and it was them who coached the players and called the plays and made this win happen so you know people like Gus Bradley those kind of people they deserve applause for this win but it's going to get lost in all the noise it is do you know it's it's really hard to draw any conclusions from this because it, it was against the Raiders that they were playing you know you could argue that delegation is maybe a skill that the previous head coach didn't have and Saturday obviously with his lack of experience is willing to delegate a bit more but that would be very it, generous when all you can it do would be is generous. delegate like when, when when literally you have no other option to delegate because you don't really know what you're doing no of course and I think we're all quite eager to see what comes next because of course there's the Eagles that they need to play next which is no mean feat at all then they've got a winnable game against the Steelers and then they face the Cowboys and the Vikings so there's a lot to overcome here and I think look for the Colts fans you know well done you got a win this Sunday but they're probably in you know for the sake of head coaching all round there's probably not that many wins in their immediate future. No like fair enough the offensive line was starting to blast holes for the running backs at least but still look pretty shaky on pass protection. That offensive line is still expensive and that's not going to change. Matt Ryan, whatever happens with him, uh, you know, it was extremely interesting that they were playing him full stop after, you know, what we've discussed over the last few weeks. But whatever happens, if he stays or goes, he's still going to eat up a huge chunk of dead money for them next year. This is a team that's going to be hobbled, I think, for the next couple of years. So, you know, it'd be great to hear from some Colts fans if they see different, but I think there's probably not too much to be optimistic about despite this one win. 
Yeah. And and talking theoreticals here, Joe, you know, let's say the Colts do go on. They have some success for the second half of the season. Is there a point at which you come around to, okay, this this may have been a good signing or regardless of the outcome, do you just see this as, as bad for the sport? In terms of Saturday, no. Saturday's not a long-term option at all. It was a huge error to put him in for the short time they have done. I think it does devalue the position massively and I think that it will annoy a lot of staff who may have gone to that team because it's just turned into, it's turned into a circus now. So it was a mistake all round. It's not a long-term option at all. He doesn't have the chops. Uh, it, it sounds like I'm being mean to Saturday. I've got nothing against him, but it's just such a stupid situation. So no, no, uh, it's it's not going to change anything at all. I'd be shocked if they don't have... I'd be massively shocked, hugely shocked. Look on my face will be incredulous if he's still in charge next season, but he won't be. Yeah. So, should we move on to uh, some of the more interesting games then, Joe? And, well, there were quite a few big games where teams overturned a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter, so there was plenty of action. Hitting you with a stat bomb, Charles. First time in NFL history that in a single game week, three games saw a team overturn a 10-plus point deficit in the fourth quarter. And you know what? All of those teams were in the NFC North as well. How mad is that? That's crazy. It was Vikings. It was Green Bay. It was the Lions. Those chippy teams. <laughs> chippy teams, the black and blue division. Let's get down to it. Look, I, I, I can't wait to talk about it, so I'm going to make us talk about it. Vikings versus Bills. Let's get the, the kind of negatives out of the way first, because I want to talk about refs. And I think that the refs had an absolute stinker in this game. There was so much. Now... The Gabe Davis catch, when that happened, I called it right then, but it didn't look like a catch. It looked like the ball bounced. From me watching on TV, it looked like there was something. Now, obviously, I'm biased. I'm kind of call more of those things and claim that they are, but not. But it looked like a non-catch. It's up to New York at that stage of a game. Because we had this discussion on Sunday, Charles, didn't we? And you were like, why wasn't there a challenge, blah, blah, blah. The rule is that if it's in the last two minutes of a game, challenging plays, it has to come from New York. And it didn't come from New York, and the refs let the Bills get the next playoff ultra quick. Now, when a team is running to get a playoff like that, and don't forget, Davis was out of bounds, so the clock had stopped. They, they, they didn't have to get a playoff for the sake of the clock. When that happens, the ref should have a bit of suspicion, maybe look to New York quickly, maybe just call the play dead, just so they can see what's going on. But they didn't. And it set up the game-tying field goal, which took the game to overtime and gave the Bills a chance they probably shouldn't have deserved. But it wasn't just that, Charles. It's come to light today that on the play in overtime, when the Vikings were a couple of yards from the Bills' goal line, the Bills had 12 players on the field, wasn't called by the refs. And, you know, this had a direct impact there because the Vikings... They screwed up a play where Cousins threw the ball out wide to Dalvin Cook and he kind of juggled the ball, fluffed it and didn't receive the ball for a touchdown. Uh, had there been 11 plays on the field, would he have been as well covered? Would Cousins have been under the pressure he was under to throw the ball, etc, etc? There's all these other things. It should have been a penalty to the Vikings. It should have been first and goal, first and a couple of yards. It wasn't. And then if you just want one more as well, I mean, that play where Josh Allen kind of hurt himself a little bit, whatever he did... He threw a late, late elbow to someone who was on the floor. If that was any player who wasn't a quarterback, it would have been a 15-yard penalty for uh, unnecessary roughness. 
because he's a quarterback and then he started crying and acting hurt, nothing was called. I thought the refs had a bad game, Chaz. I've just gone on my tirade there. Do you disagree with any of that? No, I think the Vikings beat the Bills and the officiators this match. It was unreal how seemingly one-sided the refs were. I think for me, the most egregious error out of all of those was the non-catch by Gabe yeah. Davis. Because what I don't understand is that the refs need to spot the ball for the next play anyway. And they can take as long as they want for that. Like, they dictate the pace at that period. And to your point... 100%. They were off the clock. So there was no reason to rush that placement. And the only thing I can think of... The, the only reason to kind of hurry that play up along from, from a ref's perspective is that they thought without a shadow of a doubt it was a catch. And I, I find that really hard to believe because it was so close to the sideline. I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't review even to check, you know, were both toes dragged? Was any part of the body off the field when, when the catch was made? Was it maintained? Was it held? All those things. I just don't believe that you can accurately check all that in real time. So take a beat and let New York tell you one way or the other. The other thing I will say, though, is even in real time, as you were watching the game, there was certainly enough time for us at home to see a replay of the catch before the next play started. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so why aren't New York jumping in at that point? Yeah, yeah. And and it wasn't like this was one of those plays where, you know, sometimes you get those plays where you only realise it's not been a catch when you see five or six camera, you know, views from afterwards. And you're like, ah, oh, cheeky guy, he hit that one well. That was, that was pretty unobvious. This was pretty clear. It, there was good views of it all the way down the touchline. Uh, it wasn't like the, the, the play was hidden. It wasn't like there were players in front or behind him to block the view. It was pretty clear. But as you say, all of those things, it didn't have to be played that quickly. It was almost as if the refs were helping the Bills move the play along so that New York couldn't call it. That's how it felt. I'm very bitter about it. Uh, and just to finish off on the things I'm going to moan about, because you can't be a Vikings fan and have a great win like that and not moan about stuff. Um, <laughs> win likelihoods. We've said it on the show previously, but just get rid of them. When it shows the Bills having a 74% win chance, which then goes down to 2%, which then goes back up to 90%, it's not a win probability meter it's it's just a joke it's complete mickey mouse stats if you're saying that a team has a 75 percent chance to win every time they show that then after that you should expect that, that, that those teams win three out of four times and that would just prove that the win likelihood things works but it doesn't because it just moves every five minutes it's just a waste of time i hate them get rid of them goodbye let's move on to the good stuff jazz the Justin Jefferson catch. Carl Brand on Good Morning Football this morning called it the greatest regular season catch ever, usurping the OBJ catch. What's your view on it? I don't know. It was a phenomenal catch. It was a strange catch because, ironically enough, if the defender had not contested it as strongly as he did if he just moved his arm away that ball was rolling straight out of jefferson's hand but he pinned the ball to he the defender's pinned arm the ball to the defender one-handed and i mean you look at that from certain angles at all he had no business getting that ball it, it, it should no. have been intercepted really cousins had said to him if nothing's on i'm just gonna do a effort he's down there somewhere and throw it down there for justin jefferson that was what cousins said to jefferson before the play started I'm going to do an effort you're down there somewhere play. 
And he did that. And it came off. Let's talk about Allen briefly, though, because he's the first quarterback to make it to 10 interceptions this season. Is he really? He is indeed. Well, I would have thought Trevor Lawrence would have got there before him. Um, that's that's pretty big. But I think it... I think we've talked about this psyche of Allen having to do everything and always trying to put things on his shoulders and always having to be the focal point. To just prove this, in those moments in the last quarter where um, where the Bills were leading, you know, they, they had a 17-point lead. They had a 10-point lead going into fourth quarter. They were still playing with empty backfields. I mean, just what's that all about? Why play with an empty backfield? What? Because you're going to let Josh Allen run the ball and put his injured arm under more strain. But this is this is how this team is playing. Everything has to go through Josh Allen. Even if it's a running play, well, it's got to be Josh Allen. So when you play like that, you're, you're making plays you shouldn't make. And that's probably why he's throwing 10 interceptions. Yeah, I mean, looking at the Bills in isolation, so take aside the Vikings for a second, because obviously they had a massive contribution to the win and loss of the game but that that game he almost won them that game he also definitely lost them that game do you know what i mean he 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 was everything as you said everything ran through him he made some sensational runs in overtime he made some great plays but he also made some absolute clangers and i suppose that's just what you get with josh allen you know when he's on form when he's not pressured he can ball out big time but then occasionally you know if you're of a team that's of good enough quality to put him under pressure, it can be a lot. It can be a lot for one guy to do as much as he does in a game. Yeah, and to kind of put it on how he lost him rolling a Vikings one map, which is not the narrative I want to talk about, but you've got to accept there's a little bit of that. For a non-conversion down, um, e.g. where it's not inches, where you're not trying to get above the goal line, where you're not trying to get a fourth down, for a non-conversion down, a quarterback sneak should should never be a fumble. I'm 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 not sure I've, I've I've ever seen that play be a fumble where a quarterback hasn't tried to stretch out for a score. He didn't have to stretch his arms out, he didn't have to do anything like that. All he had to do was take the ball from under center from being so close to the center that his head's in the center's ass. Like yeah, yeah. Like it's it's probably the highest likelihood play that you could possibly run. Absolute madness to fumble it absolute madness but here we are the vikings win and whatever you want to say whether bills won it bills didn't lose it whatever the vikings went toe-to-toe with them and through haymakers all through that game do you think the vikings will get the respect they deserve right now charles from the media how much respect do you think they should have what do you see this team as i think do you know what i think the thing that impressed me the most and it's this a really weird thing to say if they'd have beaten the bills and the referees were on point I'd have said, you know what? It was a close game. Could have gone either way. They went toe-to-toe with the Bills. They they sort of went toe-to-toe with the Bills and the refs and still won. And that's impressive. That shows grit. And yes, there were some silly plays from the Bills there. But for the most part, that's because they were put in a position where they made silly plays. You know, the Vikings yeah. had them pinned in. The Vikings were forcing them to make a play on fourth down. So... It was an impressive win, and I think I think the Vikings certainly deserve some respect. Do I think they'll get it from the media in the so-called power rankings? I don't, because I think that the media still love their darlings that they're so used to praising, and I think I think the Vikings will be disrespected, but you know, at the detriment of any opponent that underestimates them. 
yeah, uh, power rankings are another thing I'd cancel as well. So many things I'd cancel this week. This is a moany show. I feel, Chaz, I really appreciate you being part of my Vikings loving. So we've got to share the love a little bit. Green Bay won this week. So we, <laughs> we try to avoid, and this is just for listeners, we try to avoid talking about the Vikings and Green Bay. And sometimes in previous kind of series, we've, we've almost under-talked about them because we don't want to talk about our teams this week. But uh, you agree with me, Charles, these have been some of the more exciting games this week that people will probably want to hear about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Bills-Vikings one for sure. That was an absolute blockbuster. Game of the year? Green. Uh, yeah, so far, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Green Bay beating Cowboys again from a 10-point deficit. Does this mean they're back on track? No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the Cowboys had some injuries, uh, which never helps. A Green Bay, for the most part, did this with the run game which is what I've been crying out for for a long while because Jones and Dylan, they're a great one-two running back pair and they make plays happen for the most part. Rodgers is struggling. Turn it over to them, at least enough that Rodgers can get his confidence back a little bit if that's you know what it requires. I still felt at times Rodgers felt like he was calling it in during this game, um, but thankfully our running backs did damage and you know you've got to put some of that down to the o-line as well true but well i'm not disagreeing with you that the runnings back certainly did damage but um watson came out with three touchdown passes like it's almost like his coming out party against the cowboys is watson is this a ceiling for him is this a flash of things to come or is this a flash in the pan I think the difficulty with it is who you're relying to to throw to Watson, because if it's Rogers, look, whilst Watson is catching everything, happy days, but you know for a fact the moment that he doesn't, he'll be put in that black book and he won't but get he throws. Did have drops, for... But he did have drops. I think he had two drops in this game. He still had the drops. So to say he's catching everything, uh, I don't really know about that. He was still yeah, dropping yeah. things. He was. I don't know. I, I Listen, Joe, I made my peace with what Green Bay were after the Giants game. Don't don't bring me back into this. <laughs> I've, I, I've neatly written them off and life is peaceful because of it. Don't don't make me think that something can happen again because it's just too painful. Just when I think I'm out of it and I'm dragging me back in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll move from, from our Green Bay quickly, Cowboys. Most of the power rankings you looked at last week had the Cowboys in front of the, the, the Vikings, a.k.a. they had the Cowboys as one of the top two teams in the NFC. They didn't really look like that out there, did they? No, definitely not. They struggled. There's something missing on the offense there. I think for all the receivers who get quite vaunted, they don't really have game breakers, do they? And players like CeeDee Lamb... Yes, they can get in position. Yes, they can be red zone threats. Yes, they can do chunk plays. But they make too many mistakes during the ebb and flow of a game, which prevent a team like the Cowboys getting the momentum that they need to carry them to, you know, really get statement wins. Yeah, I think that's a really fair observation. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I think the perfect example of that really was in the interception play. I think it was in the second quarter where Dak Prescott basically got intercepted in the middle of a field. The pure reason for that was because uh, CeeDee Lamb ran a route which, instead of going in front of the safety, he went behind the safety. And, and this is just him not running the right routes. Players, we spoke about them previously, but players like Jefferson, players like Diggs, players like Adams, elite wide receivers 
don't hang their quarterbacks out to dry like that by running behind defenders. They run the routes correctly. And the Cowboys have, you know, these superstar wide receivers or have they like to, you know, pitch them as superstars who can't run routes properly all the time. Yeah, I mean, it felt like both interceptions were as a result of miscommunication between the quarterback and the wide receiver, you know, just like really wild interceptions. But I'd say it's not miscommunication, though. I'd say it's the wrong route being run. <laughs> well, that's even worse then. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not like Dak said go low and he heard him as saying that as go high. It's that's the only thing you really should be running there. Why are you running two yards behind a safety in the middle of the field, 20 yards down the field, no quarterback is going to make that throw. So it's it's just not thinking with the right football mind. Right, should we round things off with, with Lions and the Bears for this conference? Just for completeness, just so we're talking about every 10 plus point deficit, Lions went back to early season form where they were a team that was free scoring and free conceding. This time they won. But let's be honest, Charles, none of these teams are going to be playing in January, really, are they? No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, it's nice to see the Lions being entertaining again. because There's been a couple of absolutely dud games they've had where they struggled to get that offence going again. Let's let's talk about them more when we do something a bit more exciting. And Justin Fields? Justin Fields, uh, he'll go from looking like the reincarnation of Michael Vick in one moment to looking like the worst excesses of Marcus Mariota the next <laughs> if you know what I mean like uh, there's all these stats that, that get thrown around and I'm really not listening to some of these stats because it's no good talking about how good a team is at running the ball when they're below 500 which is what the Bears are right now so I don't really care for these stats saying that no team has ever run the ball this much no team has ever had this many or what is it 150 yard plus games as the Bears have doesn't matter they're losing and they're not looking good it's not like they're losing close games they're just they're just pure losing most of the time there's a lot of work to do there and to be honest i'm not sold on fields being a long-time starter i'm not sold on him being a full-time starter in the league need to see more from that passing game yes he doesn't have a help we'll give him that but a lot of question marks for him to answer still okay interesting and then before we round out the show, Joe, let's talk about the, the Germany game, the last of the international games. Now, it wasn't in terms of the game on show. It, it wasn't the best showing of NFL football, Seahawks versus uh, versus the Bucks. But in terms of atmosphere, in terms of celebration of the sport out in Germany, from everything that I've read, it seems to, to have been a big one and a successful one. It seems to have been a massive success. And to be honest, I'm I'm really happy. I think people have heard us say on the show previously that the German fans are arguably the most loyal fans in Europe in terms of when you had the NFL Europe League what, back in the late 90s. The only regions that were really making it work were the Germans. Long after the Scottish Claymores folded and the London Monarchs folded and whatever the Barcelona team was called as well, the only fans who were still making it a success were in Germany. They've stayed loyal to the NFL. They've watched on from the sidelines while London got a game, got two games, got three games, got four games. They travelled over in droves, and now they've got their own game. And to be honest, the atmosphere from what we could see on TV and what we've seen in videos since just looked absolutely banging. I mean, that rendition of Country Roads looks... I was just about to say that. It was so good. So many Incredible. Germans just absolutely banging out. Take me home. <laughs> yeah. 
And sure, right, sure, you could make the, the kind of counterpoint that it's the first game they've had there, they will be more excited, it's Brady, it's a well-supported team, yes to all of those things, but I mean, just judging by how often German fans have been coming over, how when you've got a season ticket for either of the Wembley or uh, Spurs games, you see the same Germans around you year in, year out, they, they've, they've been great fans and I think that, that, that they should get and deserve more American football. Completely agree with you. Look, the support is there to facilitate at least a single game. And it's great that they're finally getting a game in their home country and they don't have to travel to the UK if they don't want to to see a game. They've certainly deserved it for their support over the years, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And... Don't get me wrong, uh, it, it could be at the expense of London games down the road. Now, obviously, I'd hate for that. I'd hate for us to lose games here. But it's hard to make a case here when, you know, especially in the last few years, we're seeing things creeping in like, you know, just silly beer snakes, people throwing stuff. It started to go a little bit soccer in places and at times. So when you see that kind of behavior and then see what the product looked like in Germany this weekend, it's quite a compelling case. Yeah, and I suppose, though, maybe that is what popularity brings. You know, at the beginning, it was pure fans of the sport. Then it becomes vogue to be at an NFL game. And suddenly people that aren't really that interested in NFL, but are interested in saying they've been in being spotted there, suddenly start showing up. And and that kind of stuff does creep in. It will happen. I think there is an element of that and I certainly wouldn't want to sound like a kind of gatekeeper or you don't know enough about the game to come to the game because we're not saying that at all but stuff like beer snakes and all that kind of thing that's not a culturally NFL thing that's something that comes from cricket it comes from other sports so to be doing that at the NFL games it's like why why are you doing that when people are standing in some areas like they're at a Man United game Again, the teams they're doing that for and the areas of a the stadium they're doing that in, it's like you're just not doing what fans do. But there's so much of that kind of creeping in. And I don't want to moan and kind of bring things down, but it's it, it, it has made certain games, the experience there, be kind of lesser to what it was five, six years back. All right, Joe, uh, let's end on a high note then, shall we? Vikings, you're buzzing in the direction that's heading. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you might end up above the Eagles come end of the season? I would say this. I would say this. We were talking last week about how the Vikings schedule looked and you were kind of saying how it looked hard over the next few games. And I think the linchpin of you saying it was looking hard was the Bills and the Cowboys. They've knocked off the Bills the Cowboys don't look all that special. You look the rest of the season and actually the teams don't look too scary. Um, I don't want to make claims I'm going to regret saying, but the Vikings should win the majority of the games they have left. Eagles have a slightly harder run in. I think, to be honest, it doesn't really matter too much because I don't see the Vikings falling below second seed in the NFC right now. So they'll oh, be home for, for all of the games for at least to the conference finals if they go that far yeah if they go that far so as long as they keep on playing like they're playing and as long as play stay stay, stay healthy kirk fuggins getting those chains on the plane uh, <laughs> <laughs> well actually i keep saying before we leave and before we leave but genuinely before we leave now talking about injuries let me just throw a few names out there of people who are currently on the injured list at the moment right cooper cup 
Jerry Judy, Leonard Fournette, Zach Ertz, Kyler Murray, Mark Andrews, Jamar Chase, Ezekiel Elliott, Matt Stafford, Gus Edwards. I mean, the list goes on, Joe, but that is a big list of big names. Big list of big names. It does happen at this point of the year. It does seem there's quite a few there in the NFC West. I could have been imagining that, but it seems you picked out quite a few. We did see last night that both those uh, teams, the Cardinals and the Rams, were starting with second-string quarterbacks. So clearly a bit of attrition there. But these things happen at this time of the year. Some of those players will come back, some won't. But it certainly adds to the mix, doesn't it? It does indeed. Well, Joe, you're flying off to the lovely US of A tomorrow. So enjoy your time while you're out there. I will. I will, my good man. I'm going to Miami. I'm going to New York. Who knows? Might come back with a tour and a source jersey. I think it's likely I'm going to come back with a source jersey if anyone's listened to any shows from a past season. But let's see what happens. I'll come back with one for you as well. (laughs) So (laughs) I look forward to it, Joe. Speak next week. Speak next week.